Well, good morning, and I'm um, glad you're joining with us here uh, at Fellowship Bible Church and online. Uh, glad you're here with us as well. We, um, uh, we've got plenty of room, so uh, come uh, join us here uh, live at FBC uh, in one of our services or Saturday night service. A little cold last night, uh, so we, can, we met inside, but uh, uh, join us um, as we continue this uh, regathering um, uh, joy that we, we, we have. We've been singing about the love of God, and on a, uh, someone once said that talking about the love of God is a lot safer topic than talking about our love for God or our love for others, but that's what Romans 12 calls us to, how to love one another. And um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, but ask him to give us some insight this morning from Romans 12. So Father, Thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us right now to engage you, but engage in, in your word and to have this encounter with you that, um, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, you would enliven us to the truth of your word and, and how you want us to apply it, how you uh, want to challenge us in terms of obedience and I, I would pray Lord that you would just accomplish that work we can we can open up our Bibles we can see the words on the page we can I can preach it but Lord the bottom line is uh, unless you open our spiritual eyes uh, we will walk away no different than when we came in this morning so please accomplish that work I pray and Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have to do this, the great privilege that we have to meet like this. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we're mindful, Lord, again, that it was with great cost to uh, many men and women over the years that helped maintain and secure and um, allow us to do this. Um, so thank you, Father, for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. In 20, 2011, the University of Mich Michigan in Ann Arbor uh, published a, a research study that they had done that was focusing on 14,000 college students. And what this research concluded, it was, it was focusing on the empathy level of, of uh, human beings. And what this research concluded from these 14,000 college students was that 75% of them said that they were significantly less empathetic to their fellow man than students 30 years previously when the study was done. 75% said they were less empathetic. In fact, they also said they were highly more narcissistic than students 30 years previously. Now, that should be no surprise. Um, it's just the way our society is. We are obsessed with individualism, with with the me focus. Robert Bella and his colleagues 35 years ago wrote a book called The Habits of the Heart, famous, uh, a famous study. Um, they made this very accurate assessment of American cultural life. They said individualism lies at the very core of American culture. We believe in the dignity, indeed the sacredness of the individual. Anything that would violate our right to think for ourselves, judge for ourselves, make our own decisions, live our lives as we see fit is not only morally wrong, it is sacrilegious. 
Now, a lot of, has changed, I think, in 35 years. <clears throat> if anything, that individualistic mindset is more entrenched and I would say more militant than it ever has been before. No longer are Americans wanting to merely tolerate the individualistic mindset the, and lifestyles of other people. They want to militantly conform other people to their individualistic mindset. Uh, the, the, so, so the woke culture becomes the cancel culture if you don't think exactly the way I think on these matters. Um, this weekend as we see the images of the white crosses across the landscape of national cemeteries, it's hard not to think that the country so many of them died for is a, is a different country than what we're seeing today. And yet, again, at the core of it is this sense of, of me, myself, and I, the divine uh, or undivine, unholy trinity that we so jealously want to focus on. Now, nothing's new. Nothing new on the sun. In fact, it's been that way since the Garden of Eden, right? Think of yourself, Adam and Eve. Now, all of this is, a, of course, a byproduct of that Garden of Eden sin, uh, that self-serving focus, that what we would maybe call today that secular humanistic self-love philosophy, but nothing is new under the sun, self-glory, what's best for me, concern with my own affairs, take care of number one first, all in an attempt to fill the hole in the soul that is there because we've shoved God out of it. Now, the Bible teaches something completely different when it comes to God's people. The family of God. It's totally countercultural. It is this idea that the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, the moment we come to understand that Jesus paid for my sins, that my only hope for eternal life is, is in Him, is a Savior, that Jesus did this for me, and when I transfer my trust off of myself or all of my off of my own religious thinking and my self-efforts and rest solely and completely on what he did on the cross. He died, he rose again, and he offers the free gift of eternal life to anyone who will put their faith in him. And the moment we transfer our trust off of ourselves and onto him and receive that free gift of eternal life, we become members of the family of God. He empowers us with his very presence to live within that family of God and to live out a life of genuine, pure, unhypocritical love towards one another. The love that he generates in us and through us. Genuine biblical love. Romans chapter 12, we begin that practical section of the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters have been the theological foundation, but in chapter 12 he begins that idea how then should we live in light of these great theological truths that have been laid out in the first 11 chapters. What is the essence of the Christian living, of the, of the Christian life? And we have seen in the past that the, ed, the evidence or the, the essence of it is this life of sacrificial worship for God's glory. Present yourselves, I beg of you, the mercies of God to present yourselves a a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is our 
spiritual reasonable service of worship. It's living out for God's glory a life of worship for him. And how does that happen? Well, through the transformation that takes place by our renewed mind. Don't be conformed to the world's way of thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we have a proper thinking uh, about ourselves, about each other, uh, right thinking about me and thee. Our thinking then becomes in line with God's thinking rightly about who we are and our responsibility to one another. And that comes down to a life of unhypocritical love. Unhypocritical love. So the exhortation in verse 9 that we've been looking at is, so let love be genuine, sincere. Let it be the real deal. Don't be a play actor on the stage and speak from behind a mask. Be the real thing. Unhypocritical love. It's the adhesive that binds us together in the body of Christ so that the world knows that something different has happened within us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our love for one another is to be pure and untainted, free from selfish desires and selfish motives. Now, that is the kind of overarching exhortation. Let your love be free of tainted selfishness, unhypocritical love. But then in a series of little triplet statements in the verses that follow are descriptive phrases about what that looks like. What is unhypocritical love looking like? And last week we looked at three of those. There's the spiritual sensitivity of love. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. There's a tenderness of love and a humility of love. Be devoted to one another in this brotherly love. Giving preference to one another, not lagging behind letting others go further ahead of us, not lagging behind the humility of love. In other words, there is these um, very real, if not visceral responses within us, abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good, and using these words and these phrases of, of great tenderness, of great familial love, the love between brothers and sisters in the family, or the love between parents and their children the tenderness and the humility, the, the honoring of one another. Now, in verse 11, we're going to pick up, and there's another set of, of three characteristics of unhypocritical love, one of them being the consistency of love. Look at verse 11. And I need to turn to Romans because I was in the book of Revelation. I don't know, what, what, out of curiosity, what's Revelation? No, I won't go there. So, Chapter 12, not lagging behind in diligence. Verse 11, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Not lagging behind in diligence. There is a, a sense of, of consistency of love. In other words, um, don't be sporadic in your love relationships with the body of Christ. Don't lack in the zeal. Genuine love, he says, has no room for, for a, a, a lethargy, a uh, uh, some of the translations will say slothfulness or, or laziness, which is, can be easy to do. Uh, we can uh, be intermittent and, 
and we can spike up maybe and then spike down and spike up and spike down in terms of our relationship. What Paul is saying, there needs to be a consistency. Real, genuine, unhypocritical love has a consistency about it. Now that's the, the negative phrase, don't lag behind. The very next phrase is really the same thing stated, but in a positive way. It talks about the earnestness of love. Be fervent in spirit. Don't be inconsistent. Don't lag behind. Don't be slothful and lazy in your relationships with one another, but be fervent in spirit. And it's a really um, colorful term. It's a word that means to boil over or to be hot, boiling over in fervency. There's an intensity of our love for one another, an overwhelming compulsion to love one another. Um, when we understand the privilege that we have to be a part of the body of Christ, and when the Holy Spirit of God is operating, um, shall I say, energetically in our life, you just can't help but uh, be, be fervent, be boiling over. There's an intensity of, of care and love for one another, Paul says. That is real, unhypocritical love. Um, Turn to me just real quickly. I, I was thinking of, and that's why I was in Revelation. Huh. Turn to me to Revelation, last book in the Bible, to Revelation chapter 3. In the words written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, one of those churches is the church of Laodicea. So Revelation chapter 3, verse uh, 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And Paul says to the angel of the church, in Laodicea, right, now he's, these are Bible-believing, blood-bought, heaven-bound members of the family of God, the household of God, the church at Laodicea. The amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are in fact wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And I advise you, verse 18, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you can clothe yourselves and and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Now what's going on in the Laodicean church? Indifference. You're neither cold or hot. You're just kind of <laughs> Christian life. Relationships with others. I, I could take you or leave you, folks. <laughs> I could take you or leave you. You're neither hot nor cold. There's no fervency. You're not boiling over with a, a, the hotness of, of Jesus' love. There's an indifference. In fact, you are looking at your life and you're, you're rich, you're making your money. And in the history of, by the way, this, the city of Laodicea, apparently they had, there was a certain chemical that they would mine, I think. Uh, they made an ISAB. They were known. It was a medicinal thing, and, and Laodicea got wealthy off of the selling of this medicinal eye salve, and, 
And so they were strutting around with their wealth and their fine clothes and their pride of what they were as a city, and it affected the church. And, and Jesus is saying, well, you may strut around in your fine clothes, but in reality, you're naked. Let me clothe you. you your your um, um, proud, arrogant ways of, of your wealth, well, in reality, you're poor. You need me to enrich you. In fact, you're blind. Let me provide the eye salve that you really need. Repent, because who I love, I will discipline. Indifference, caught up in the things of the world, and so just busy doing life and the success of life, and, and therefore they lost track of each other. Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, I don't think he had the Laodicean church in mind, but he is saying there needs to be a consistency in our life. Don't lag behind. Don't, don't be slothful or lazy. And, and don't be um, uh, indifferent towards one another in love. Now, I was thinking about this this week and I'm wondering what keeps me from that fervency in spirit? What keeps maybe others? I mean, wh why is it that I can become lazy that way and, and inconsistent and, and just, you know, not really boil over with a sense of intensity of love for others? I whittle it down, at least for me, and I suspect it's true because I've seen it in just our culture today. It's one word, busyness. We get so busy in life that it's just like we have no margin left for others. And it's, it's like the last thing we want to do is, you know, connect with other people. Someone suggested that there are, came up with seven hypotheses of why Americans are so frenetically busy these days. Seven hypotheses, like, here's one of them, a busyness becomes a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor, a trendy status symbol. In other words, we glorify busyness. I mean, look, I must be a very important person. I'm very busy. I, I uh, you know, how you doing, Mark? Oh, I'm, I'm just tired. I'm so busy because I, I do so much. And we wear it maybe as a badge of honor. Or secondly, they suggested busyness as, a, as job security. I've got to stay busy because... If I'm not busy, John Morrison will squeal on me to the elders. And, and you know, so I've got to look busy so I, you know, earn my keep, so to speak. Or busyness as FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, we, there seems to be a potential trend happening here where there's a shift from, from the mentality, I need to buy all these things so I have it all, to... I need to experience all these things. I, I need, a, I need a, a bigger highlight reel of my, la my life. I've, I've got to fill my bucket list with, um, with the things that are happening. You check the, your, your friend's Facebook pages and they're showing pictures of all their fun travels or their, look what we did, and oh wow, my life is pretty dull. So I've got to get busy filling my life with the things that, I can do. And we do that, and we end up, you know, marginalizing other people in our life. Um, <clears throat> thanks for being here, by the way, on a Memorial Day weekend. I realize it's kind of a sucky day, weekend, to go out and 
do something. And, it, and don't get me wrong, it's wonderful that we can get away and do things, but I don't know, something, something just doesn't smell right to me when the average uh, Christian today attends church 1.67, 1.67 times a month. That's the statistic. We, we just don't have time for assembling of ourselves together because we're so busy making highlight reels and Facebook posts of uh, our busy life. Well, let me keep reading this too. Convicting. Um, Here's another one. Business is a byproduct of the digital age. So 24-7 connectedness, right? Um, The average, I just read this, the average American spends two two and a half hours a day on, on this thing or some form of social media. Two, two, to be accurate, it was two hours and 24 minutes, I think it said. Two hours and 24 minutes a day. Two, hundred, two, two hours and 24 minutes a day that is involved in something that just a few years ago might have been put into relationships and other things. Um, business is a byproduct of the digital age. Business is a time filler was another hypothesis. Um, the, the, the choices that we make, the abundance of choices, and we have uh, infinite ways to fill our time online or offline. Um, and so we don't, we don't have those idle moments, um, that, that restorative quietness of the soul. We're just busy, 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 busy all the time. Or another hypothesis is busyness really as necessity. We need that extra job, uh, single moms, uh, busyness to make ends meet while taking care of kids, and, and it crowds out time with, uh, with the body of Christ, with others. Uh, busyness as necessity. Another one was busyness as escapism. In other words, I, I, I'm troubled... There's turmoil in my soul, unresolved issues, unresolved pain, um, hurt. And instead of dealing with it through the body of Christ, instead of allowing people to speak into my life, instead of building those relationships of authentic relationships and love, I want to silence the pain by keeping busy. Um, See, business is all about me. It has nothing to do about you. Now, obviously, uh, from time to time, we are going to feel like the, like the Egyptian mummy pressed for time, right? Um, it just, it happens in life. Or the, or the butcher that backed up into the meat grinder and got a little, little behind in his work. Uh, it, it's going to happen in our life. Uh, There are moments and times and seasons where that might be true, but these words that we're talking about, these characteristics of of unhypocritical love, I just don't think it's going to be a reality in our life at the pace we keep in this world. If we're too busy to lend a helping hand, if we're too busy to listen intently to someone who needs desperately to unload their hurt, then Paul the Apostle would say, well, then we're too busy. And by the way, we can actually be busy with all the good things. I mentioned this last week. 
We can be busy with all the good things. So we're listening to all the needs of people. We're making ourselves seemingly available to everybody, and, and we're, we're just engrossed in the life of the church. We're not only involved in one community group, we've got five of them, and small groups. We're always engaging with people. And as I mentioned last week, that can be nothing but pure hypocritical love because it's all for my benefit. It's all to make me look good. It's all to get the accolades of others. My, isn't he a caring person? And so, you know, sin and Satan gets us seemingly coming and going. Let your love be without hypocrisy. There should be a consistency. There should be an earnestness, a fervency to our love. There's another one here, the focus of love, the last little of uh, the third of, of the triplet there in verse 11, serving the Lord. When, we, when we're loving one another with a pure, untainted love, ultimately we are serving Him. You see, if our focus is on Him first and foremost, if our vertical relationship is intact, and we're loving the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, spirit, the, the focus on others is going to naturally happen because God flows, will, flow our, will, will allow our focus on Him to then be directed towards others. If our focus is on ourselves, we'll never focus on Him. And Paul is saying real authentic love is a, is a, is a Christ focus. It's ultimately serving the Lord. Loving and serving the body of Christ is simply a way of loving and serving the Lord. Now, there's another set, another triplet in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. So Paul speaks now of the, of the hopefulness, the hopefulness of love. Rejoicing in hope. I think this is significant because when a person loses hope, you, you lost the job. You lost the spouse. Something that happened in life. And life comes kind of crumbling in around you. And we can all of a sudden lose our focus off of him and, and we put it on the situations of life. And we look at life situations. You look at what's going on in the world today. You'll, you you, you, you watch too much of the news and all of a sudden you can start growing hopeless. And when we do, the focus gets immediately off of him and others and onto ourselves. How, how are we going to maneuver in this absolutely crazy world? And we can lose hope. But like someone once said, there are no hopeless situations in the world for a Christian. There's only people who have grown hopeless in the midst of those situations. But when our, our focus is right upon Him, and we realize even though my body is falling apart, my inner man can be renewed by the strength of the Holy Spirit day by day, I'm, all of a sudden I'm infused with hope. Because no matter what happens, in my, even in my dying breath, I can bless others and bless Him. And then in the bat of an eye, be translated into, into glory. We're filled with hope as believers in Jesus Christ. And so we keep our focus on Him. We're filled with hope. We rejoice in hope, which gives us now the permission and the freedom to focus on other people. 
for the very simple reason, God is God, you are my God, I could be filled with hope, and therefore no matter what happens in the world, I can have that right perspective and uh, rejoice in all things and um, love unhypocritically, which leads to that second little triplet. It's the, the perseverance of hope. Persevering in tribulations, they go together with the last one. Um, persevering in tribulations, being able to bear up under the trials of life, not succumbing to that, um, that the burdens of life that now are bearing down upon me, but having it, again, in a proper biblical perspective so that in the midst of all that stuff that's happening, I can actually care for other people. I can actually love with a genuine, pure, untainted love towards one another because all of those other bad things that are happening in my life are put in a proper perspective. I'm persevering in tribulation. I can steadfastly love someone else because I know God's got me covered. And I can bear up under the problems and trials of life. A couple of years ago, um, Voice of the Martyrs, an organization, did a... a, a um, a movie on the life of the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, Richard Wormbrand. Does that name ring a bell to people? Richard Wormbrand, uh, he was a Romanian pastor that after World War II, as the, as the uh, R Russians had taken over the eastern part of Europe and communism um, all of a sudden overnight took over. And um, Richard Wormbrand was a young pastor in Romania. And uh, over a series of years, um, as the encroachment of communism hit more and more, and he was in prison for uh, 14 years in the most brutal and the most uh, horrendous environment. He wrote a book entitled Tortured for Christ. I can remember reading it when I was in high school. It was gripping. Tortured for Christ. Well, they put a movie out about it. One of the scenes of the movie um, is a remarkable statement that Wormbrand gave he said it was strictly forbidden to preach to others while we were prisoners it was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating well a number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching so we accepted the communist terms it was a it was a deal we preached they beat us and we were happy preaching they were happy beating us so everyone was happy can you imagine that he wrote, it was in prison that we found the hope of salvation for the communists. It was there that we developed a sense of responsibility toward them. It was in being tortured by them that we learned to love them. And then he said, God will judge us not according to how much we endured, but how much we loved. You beat me, I'll love you. We'll make a deal. Finally, verse 12 speaks of the perseverance of love and then the posture of love. The posture of love, devoted to prayer. In other words, on our knees, the posture of love. A person loving with a hypocritical love um, will seldom be found lifting other people up before the throne of grace. A person who's exhibiting that pure, tainted, caring unadulterated, unhypocritical love finds themselves 
seemingly often, in fact, fulfilling what Thessalonians talked about, praying without ceasing for the needs of others. People come into their mind, and they're able to just stop what they're doing and say, Lord, I lift up to you right now, this person and that person. I, I don't know about you, but it just seems like prayer requests are at an all-time high. I, I, I don't know, just maybe, it just seems like there's so many needs going on right now and worldwide. I mean, we could be on our knees seemingly for hours, but it, it's this posture of prayer, this attitude of prayer that if we really cared, if we really were burdened for the needs of people, and as the Spirit of God implants those thoughts as we go about our day, we just stop right where we are. Isn't it wonderful to talk with Jesus, talk with God, to commune with the living, uh, um, uh, the, the creator of the universe, and just stop for a moment and say, hey, Father, I, I think you've brought so-and-so into my mind. I lift them up to you. Lord, meet their need. Take care of the situation today. Lord, bring that healing that they need. Lord, help them to see Jesus in the midst of this, and then you go about your day, your, your work. Just a 30-second, 40-second uh, prayer that we shoot up to, to him. But it's the posture of, of, of love, unhypocritical love, cares enough to lift up people before the throne of grace. Looking over this a little bit and looking at some verses this week on how the Apostle Paul or, or Jesus prayed for people, it's not only that they prayed for the body, the, 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 the people, um, it was for people who didn't know Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'll make a deal with you. You beat me and I'll love you. We pray for those who persecute us. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 2, first of all then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men and for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people in Washington, D.C. that need a lot of prayer. And instead of complaining and belly aching about what's going on in Washington, let's just go to the Lord and say, Lord Jesus, you've got to save these people. Paul was concerned about the souls of people. He had a heart for lost uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, be on the alert with all uh, perseverance and petition for all the saints and, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness and the mystery of the gospel. Help me to proclaim it, Lord. Pray for me, he said. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. The spreading of the good news of Jesus. Folks, you know, you've been, many of you Christians long enough and in this church long enough, you know that the answer to this country is not in politics, it's in prayer. It's in the people of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we remove ourselves from the political process. Absolutely not. We engage in it, but we do it on our knees. People need Jesus. That's what they need, and we've got to pray about that. If we care, unhypocritical love. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer for God or to God for them is for their salvation. People need Jesus. 
We celebrate Memorial Day. We celebrate a time that people gave their life so that we could do this. We could live out our Christian existence freely in this country and express it so that we could freely love without hypocrisy. Um, these are times to be devoted in prayer. People need our prayers. Is there a family you know who just desperately needs a touch from God? Anybody popping into your mind? That's how the Holy Spirit works. I think we get together, we look at the Word, and then all of a sudden something supernatural takes place. It's not the flapping of gums from a guy up in the pulpit. It's the movement of the Spirit of God in our souls. I need it as much as you do. Is there someone that's popping into your mind who desperately needs some untainted, genuine, sincere love? Prayer for them. This Memorial Day weekend, do you know any family that has lost a loved one in the service of this country? And they need your prayers? Any first responders who have been lost on the line of duty and a family is left and they need our prayers? They need our encouragement? Who is there in your sphere of influence that needs the touch of God? On this Memorial Day weekend, Let's not forget those who sacrifice their lives and those that remain. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, today we remember those men and women who have died in service to our country. We pause to reflect on the lives sacrificed while protecting our freedoms. We confess that most days we are oblivious to the price paid by men and women in uniform, and yet we live every day in the freedom they laid down their lives to give us. So today, we recall the words of Jesus when he said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And let us not forget that each life lost represents other lives that are left to pick up the pieces. We lift up widows and widowers, brothers and sisters, parents and children of the service men and women who fought valiantly for our country. We ask for your peace and comfort to never leave them. God, we thank you for the lives of these men and women. May their memory and their service never be forgotten. Amen. And now in the quietness of this moment, let me just ask you, is there someone that is popping into your mind, something that is some person, a friend, a co-worker, a relative, maybe a, a stranger that you read about or heard about? Anybody that the Lord has placed it on your heart and I just want you to take an extra minute here and lift them up in prayer. Do they need Jesus? Then pray for their salvation. Do they need hope? Then pray that they'll get afraid. Are they followers of Jesus and they, they've lost hope? Then do they need a, a, a fresh um, picture of who God is infused in, in, in their life? Just take a moment now and pray for whoever God might be placing on your heart.
Father, you, you are love. And we are able to love one another because you first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Lord Jesus, you died for us. You loved us enough to come to the cross. And thank you, Father, that that free gift of eternal salvation given to us, um, along with that came the, the wonderful, transformative power of your Holy Spirit that indwells us. We are not the people we once were. And therefore, we can be um, change agents in this world by the power of, of unhypocritical love. Father, I think every one of us could acknowledge, Lord, that we, we cannot do this in and of ourselves. We just can't do it, Father. In and of ourselves, we don't have it. And so we depend on you to stir us up by way of reminder. You're the one that has to bring about this consistency and this, this fervency, this earnestness, this, this persevering love. You're the one, Father, that will bring us to our knees in the posture of prayer and bring to our attention the needs of someone else. We present ourselves to you, and Father, help us not ever to lose sight of the fact, again, that we are able to love because you first loved us. You are the, you, you, you Father, are, are the one, your love is like, as someone said, the Amazon River that flows down to water one single little daisy. That's me. And may that, that, um, that incredible love that has flowed down to me, may at least this week, Father, trickle out to love someone else in pure, uh, untainted, unhypocritical love. I pray this so that you would be glorified through your church. In Jesus' name, amen.